That, that's lovely, thank you. So Catherine's crying, Jackie's crying, anybody else want to cry? I should have bought some tissues. Should have bought shares in tissues, that would have been good. So, and thank you, thank you for those prayers for the boys and for us. Because of course they're not just words, are they? They are words written in the heavenly realm, more on that in a minute. Uh, because this is about God's work. Not just because I have one of these, but because we are all who are Christians here this morning, you who name yourself a Christian, you are all on God's journey and on God's active service and calling. But as I, as I stand here, I realise for the first time ever, I've managed to get one of, a reserved seat in a church. <laughs> so this is what you've got to do to get one of these. You've got to leave church, okay? I think the last time I had one of these reserved seats... It was at our wedding 14 years ago down in Bognor, down at the church there, and my, um, uh, my best man had, protect, had managed to pin it to my posterior. <laughs> and then I walked in this morning and I, took, I sort of went, sniffed, and I said to Mike, where is Mike? Mike? Yeah, I said to Mike and, and to Andy, I said, can you smell burning? And we all agreed, didn't we? There was, there was a burning smell at the front. I thought, my goodness, 14th of September 2004, Bishop Lindsay preached on this spot in a Sunday, on a, an evening. I don't know what day of the week it was. It was a midweek evening. And he preached about Christ the Lord burning down. I thought, that's prophecy then. 2004, 2010, it's going to burn down. We think it was only the candles, so don't panic. Okay, don't panic. Oh, is it someone's toast? It was someone, who's got toast? Who's had toast? Who's had toast here? Was it Daniel? <laughs> oh, Daniel's had toast, that's what it was. Oh, okay. Okay, blame my children. And of course you can tell we're back because it's all gone very noisy and everything. The shy and retiring children have returned. So uh, Luke, full of energy and enthusiasm. And uh, yes, we pray for Daniel entering in reception, which is lovely. Uh, of course, we need to pray for protection for the new teacher as Daniel enters reception <laughs> as well. So, isn't that right? Because you are lovely. You hiding? He's colouring. Okay. And then Mike said, you know, thanks for gathering to see us. What you didn't say, Mike, was make sure that they are going. That's why you're all here, isn't it? To make sure we're all going, yes? So there we go. So I've returned to have a reserve space to find a church burning down and to discover we're going. But there's got to be more to it than that, hasn't there? So children, I'll tell you what, I'll do you a deal. If you just play with your things that you've been given to take home for about 10, 15 minutes, I think there's probably a little bit of food later. Is that right? Looking out. So, and we'll let you in if you're quiet. Okay? We'll let you in if you're quiet. And I have amazing hearing. I have amazing hearing, so I know who's made the noise. But just talking to perhaps the adults and the older children here this morning, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 and the uh, farewell discourse of uh, Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. And it reminded me as we come to this ending that, you know, endings. You look forward to some, forward to some endings, don't you? Perhaps you've been in a degree of unhappiness and sadness. Perhaps you've known someone with a very long illness. And you are looking actually forward to that ending. Other endings are unexpected. And then there are some endings when you go down to Cineworld and after an hour and a half of watching a film, the ending makes sense to the past an hour and a half, two hours of the story and it all suddenly becomes clear. And then you find you've got to go and watch the film again to work out what was happening in the middle. But then, of course, you have to come out of Cineworld and, and head back to reality. If you're on a plane about to take off at Gatwick and you come to the ending of the runway and your wheels are still on the ground you know you've got a problem and you better start praying very intensely and lifting your feet up out the way. 
but you're ready for a new adventure because that ending is leading to a new beginning. Catherine and I joked uh, last night, I was, I was writing a sermon about the third time over, and we joked and we said, Joe, this ending today is, is almost like preparing for your own funeral. Only I'm part of it. So I'm still here alive, honest. And I, I'm told that there was a famous man who um, the papers heard had died. Very famous person. And so they pulled out all those pre-planned uh, obituaries that listing his achievements, listing his life, the impact he'd made, the businesses he started, the works of his hands over many, many decades. They printed this all. The next day, each paper received a phone call from that very same man because it had been a complete mix-up and a mistake. And he said to every single paper, thank you, I now know all the things I'm meant to have done, but I'm not actually ready for the ending yet. And I wonder as you and I, perhaps you're not quite ready for the ending yet. I don't know if Paul was ready for the ending in a human sense in the Bible, but he was ready spiritually. He was reconciled with God through Jesus Christ, and he knew that his ending was secure. Because here, here we approach the end of Paul's letter to his friends in the city of Ephesus. Uh, this is a people and a place he knows very, very well. But this isn't just any old letter that uh, you had written there earlier. I don't even know if perhaps, John, we could even get the reading 10 to 13 up on the screen. I don't know if that would work. We may do. Ephesians 6, verses 10 to 13. You see, here we have a people and a place he knows well. This is a letter written under God's guidance, inspired by God. It's not just any other note. It may be the work of Paul's hands, but there is an internal message in there. And if it really is eternal, it's a message for you, my friend, today with your ending and perhaps the middle or the beginning of your life. This is a letter written by man under house arrest, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 20, literally chained to a guard. So he's writing probably of a scribe writing for him. He describes what he wants to be written to the church there and then sent out to other churches. This is a letter written by a man who maybe will never see his friends again. Possibly Catherine and I may never see some of you again. Unlike we might say in this world today, communication. But the truth is, the reality is, for some, this is an ending, a farewell. This is a passing of the battle baton by him. It, it's more like an obituary uh, farewell letter than the end of a film where you know there'll be a sequel or you can go back and watch it again. Not only that, it's a letter written to somewhere of great importance, a city three times the population of Crawley, 300,000 people, a centre of one of the great seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple and cult of Artemis, a place of religious fervour that bankrolls an entire religious cult that is trying to keep itself going with the local tradespeople and the silversmiths. This is a place that you play with fire very carefully or you may get burnt. People know where their vested interests lie. Not only that, this is a letter written to people that know the reality of the spiritual battle. They have come out of spiritual warfare. They have known the past they were in. But this is also a place so open to hear about the Christian faith that Paul stays three years. It's a place that builds up a Christian church and that at least two other churches start. 
This is a church, this is a place where he's invited to lecture at the great places on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a place where Christ has made such inroads that if you were to turn to Acts chapter 19, elsewhere in the Bible, you'll find that the local tradespeople and silversmiths uh, start a riot to try and kick the Christians out because it is so undercut, so undercut the prophets in the temple cult. These are Christians that are not just ambivalent and passive and wet and weedy and completely, utterly useless and embarrassed by their faith. These are Christians that are furiously, for the gospel, going out there because they know that this stuff matters. And they are constantly on the lookout for God's work in their lives. And they are making an impact on their community so much so that the local console, the people in power, warn Paul what's going on, Acts chapter 19, towards the end, about verse 41. And as I look around me, as I look at my life, as I look at the past six, seven years, the ten years we've been in Crawley, as I look at you, friends, some of you, church members, others, and so on, I ask myself this question, has this been Christ the Lord? Has this been my life? Has it been my ministry to date? Has there been impact, visibility, turning to Christ, salvation from the bondage of eternal death, changing the social landscape for good for all, noted by the community, doing good because we are good people, not by my strength or your strength, 6 verse 19, but in the strength and the might and the authority of God. I wonder what of your life? And then we get to uh, verse 6 verse 10 and the first word. And that first word there is important. It's the word finally. Here is a farewell that is going to have in it everything of eternal significance. This is a farewell of someone who says, now I need to put into here the very final things that I'm going to say. And I thought, well, that's a good passage for me this morning then. What would I say to you? Well, let me put it like this. What might God say through me to us this morning as a final farewell? two things, two things. Ephesians 6 verse 10, preparing to stand. That's what about today is about, isn't it? It's about preparing to stand, that each of you and I will stand as Christians. We have been on an amazing journey as friends, as a church I speak now. We started from something not quite like this, and we're somewhere on the road to something slightly different and yet at the end of the day unless we turn to Christ what Paul is saying here is that the journey will be finite there will be an ending standing now means standing for eternity a purpose and a calling that stretches into the time frame of heaven not an end by human years but a time frame of heaven on offer to you and I the journey hasn't been about this building though it's lovely my Catholic friends we do love it too honest we hate the roof, but we love the building. It's not about me. It's not even about you and I as individuals as you've turned to Jesus. It's not even about great loved people, just to mention two. We lost Clive. I may mention that, Debbie. We lost David. And we know that their reward is in heaven. But it's been about the second thing, verses 11 and 12 of chapter 6. It's about a purpose in the supernatural. All the fun, all the laughter, all the tears, all the worship, all the light parties, TLC meetings, PCCs. Love more loathe them. I, lo I loathe them. Is this going to go out on the, on the web? I love them. Fantastic. 
toddler groups, laser quest, beer belching, not me, of course, that's Mike and Andy. It all has a higher purpose. It all has a higher purpose. Not just as everyone on earth has a higher purpose found only in becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. The purpose here is to take our place in the battle. And that is something that's out of favour today in some Christian branches. The language of the battle. Paul is pleading with them to know that all the message of Christ, all the living in hope, all the compassion, all the kindness and care can only be fully understood if we see the purpose of Christ in these supernatural realms. Otherwise, it is like walking through life blindfolded and then realizing that you're substituting it with toys and cars and money and relationships, aspirations, children, education, whatever it is. Eyes open to Christ are eyes open to true reality. And so Paul strips bare the final message with true, shocking, dangerous reality. And what is his message? Four words. Against you is Satan. Against you is Satan. It reminds me of an American Indian story. Children would be told from a very young age, younger than all of you lot here, I don't know who the youngest child here in the front is, but younger than the youngest child, they would be told the same story. There be bears in those hills over there. There'll be bears in those hills over there. Don't go in the hills, there are bears over there. And this will be drummed into them story after story. In fact, you may not realise it, but you've done it yourself. Every childhood story you've told your children, every fairy tale, little red riding hood and so on, the story of the three bears comes from that same tradition of take care, take care. The American Indians used to do this specifically. And then at the age of 14, they used to then send their child out into the hills alone for one night. And as they took them out there, they would say to them, and remember your childhood stories, there be bears in those hills. And the children would be very aware and they would be very prepared and they would be on the lookout all of the darkness of the night in the hills for those bears. They would be aware, alert, wary, watchful and careful. All the words that Peter tells us in 1 Peter to be careful about Satan who prowls like a roaring lion. And they would be there all night but they would not know that every male in the Indian village would secretly be in the hills around that child, protecting them. The 14-year-old would not know that they were completely surrounded and protected by forces greater than they could see. But because the child didn't know, he would be ready at all times to stand, verse 10, and fight verse 11 to verse 16. Satan has power. That is the message of Paul here. He is a personal being, a reality. He took a third of angels from heaven in Revelation 12. His angels fought God angels for the power of nations in Daniel verse chapter 10. Jesus calls him in Luke chapter 11 the strong man armed. The Ephesus people know about spirits. He does not say as many do today, don't worry, it's all a myth. Just get on with life. There is no such thing out there. Paul turns it on its head and he says, be alert, be aware. He attributes power and purpose to them. But what interests me is this, 
that unlike that lad who'd be in the midst of the forest, there is no fear in Paul. In fact, Paul almost seems to celebrate the fact that he is in chains for the gospel of Jesus Christ, literally. He knows that he's on a higher purpose and a higher calling. I wonder if you know you're on a higher purpose and a higher calling, my friend. And if you are not, you are missing out on the world's worst-kept secret because it's out there. You just haven't heard it yet. There is no fear in him. From verse 12, he gives the message of preparing to stand in purpose. Twice, he says, put on the full armour of God. Not once, but twice. You see, it's for you, my friend, to put on the armour. God doesn't do it for you. He provides it for you. He'll prepare you for it. But you have the responsibility as a Christ follower to then take up the armour. And he lists some of those things in there. Turning to Christ, living for Christ, taking your part in the battle. It's your responsibility because of what Christ did on the cross for me and for you. And because of that, there is no fear. I'd like just to turn, before I tell you a little story, to the very first chapter of Ephesians. Because it's not the first time Paul has used that phrase, principalities and powers. You'd have to go to chapter 1 and verses 20 through to 21 to find where he uses it first of all. Paul doesn't do things by accident. This is God's word. So these people know that when they're hearing about the principalities of Satan, they will already be aware of verse 20 and 21. Ephesians chapter 1. The power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but in the age that is to come. And everything is therefore under God's feet. Verse 22. He knows there is no power once you are in Christ, in Satan. You are people of God. But are you aware that you don't gather to worship by choice? You haven't come to know Jesus here because of me. You haven't grown in faith because you decided to. You haven't walked away from Jesus because you wanted to. You have been listening to God or not listening to God, depending on the situation. When I was praying about moving to Christ the Lord, as Catherine's going to talk about later, I think, uh, she wrote something out for later on, um, I didn't want to come here. Am I allowed to tell you that? Am I allowed to tell you that? I didn't want to come here. I mean, it was full of these other people. They, they were called Roman Catholics. I love you. It was a fairly old... Do you remember, do you remember the strip lights around the edge, some of you, that would flicker? And we decided, I think, what, I think it was Peter joked one day, if they all go out, Simon, we're all going to go home. It was kind of, you were hoping they might not go out during a sermon. It was almost like your time is up, three-minute thing that they sometimes have at party conferences. And then we put these things in. And then we put the video projector system in. I, I, I didn't know that God wanted me here, if I'm quite honest. I was looking humanly for something very, very different. I knew what I was looking for. I still haven't found it. I never will, because actually what matters is what God wants in my life and in your life. And then three things happened, many of you, so I won't go over it too much detail, I know there are some guests here, so I'll just share it very briefly. Many of you know that I came over from Southgate, uh, 54 Dovedale Crescent, to help do a lead a service here. There were about 17 people in the church on an average Sunday at that time, 17 people. And as I was walking over, just this thing came into my head, expect, and I can't remember the number now, but it's written in the book, and Derek could go and check it, because he was the one that wrote the number on the day. 
And he said, he said Simon, expect about 67 people in church. Oh, a load of rubbish. Why are there going to be 67 people in a church that we can't even scrape 17 saints together? And they're the faithful remnant that have seen it through the dark times. And so I stood at the front. And what I didn't know, I should have known, but I didn't know, was that there was going to be a baptism that Sunday. And I remember walking thinking, oh, there's a baptism. Oh, I better prepare for that now, hadn't I? And 67 people were in this church. And I didn't count the number. Derek Norris counted the number and wrote it in the book. And I completely forgot until I looked at the book and signed my name. and thought, oh, 67 people. That's the number I thought of coming up. I thought, okay, maybe God's trying to say something here. And then I don't think I've told you this uh, since, um, uh, ever. But then a couple of weeks later, I was in Marks and Spencers in, in town. Some of you know Marks and Spencers, it, it just off uh, Queen's Square. has got an escalator going up, hasn't it? They make you walk down, but it's got an escalator going up, hasn't it? Yeah? And I had uh, Luke in the buggy. He's very young at the time. And I thought I'd do that very silly thing. I can't be bothered to find the lift. I've got the buggy. He's in it, but he'll be okay. If I sort of, if I sort of do this, I'm a company can look idiot. I'm sure I can balance it four steps up and get him up there. He's strapped in. He'll be safe. Of course he will. I just like to say, for the official record, don't ever do it. Okay. <laughs> so I'm about to push it on, and I just had this funny feeling. This is dangerous. I just had this thought. I thought, this is dangerous. Simon, what are you doing? At that very moment, and here we're into, I believe, the principalities and powers and the angelic forces. At that moment, this man appeared. I can only describe it as he appeared. Because I remember jumping with shocks. I didn't know where he'd come from. This wizened old man. I'm not going to look at anybody in particular and name anybody, but he'd be older than anybody here. Wizened old man appeared like a Mr. Ben moment. You know, the shopkeeper. Can I help you, sir? But where did you come from? And he said, can I help you? I thought, well, I'm stronger than you. Rare moment I have felt strong. I thought, I'm stronger than you. I said, no, thank you. He said, I'm here to help you. And he said it with such authority in his voice. I thought, all right. And he said, I'll take that. And I, I just unbuckled Luke to try and sort of walk him up the escalator at that moment. And he took this fairly heavy buggy with one hand. I do not joke. He took it with one hand and he picked it up as if it was a twig. And I, I remember standing there looking thinking, well, I don't know where you've come from. And boy, you are strong. And he didn't look it. He didn't look it. We got up to the top. He put the buggy down. I turned to put Luke in. Now, without going into too much detail, um, upstairs, straight ahead of you, they used to have, I I'm only told this on a report, I've never experienced it myself, they used to have the underwear section for ladies. I'm, I'm told, I'm told, okay? And so I didn't want to look too much that way, so I bent down, I looked up, and he had disappeared. I didn't even have a moment to thank him. He had gone, he had gone. I walked around the underwear section three times. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I, I walked around looking for the man. I, I walked around looking for him, and he was not upstairs. Maybe 67 people and the provision of God for protection came together. And then a few weeks later, I was in here, and we were talking about putting a video projector in, and Brian, who's now gone back to um, the South Africa, Zimbabwe. Uh, no doubt he'll listen to this on the, on the, um, on the uh, internet later. So we, we care for you, Brian and Tara, if you're listening. And we'll be praying for all of you and the family and, and the children. But we were talking at the back there, putting this in. And this man turned up, again, quite a big person. I remember he was taller than Peter Stroud, taller than Peter. 
And, and he has a sort of Germanic accent. And he said, I can help you with this. And I, I remember Brian saying to me, you know, more, more or less, well, where did he come from? And he said, I can help you with this. And he said, I, I'm in technicals or something. And he gave us all this description about how to put this video projector up and everything and what we would need. And it was fantastic detailed information. And, and I said, well, yeah. And, and I said something about preaching it Sunday. And he said, oh, I can help you with that. I thought, that's very strange. And he said, I can help you with your church. And I thought, that's really quite weird. And this was a Sunday before Easter Day, 2005. And I said to him, well, that's great. You know, where do you live? He said, I live around Broadfield. I remember thinking at the time, that was a very funny phrase to say, I live around Broadfield. And I said, well, where do you live? And he said, you won't find my address. It's, it's back out. He sort of gave a sort of excuse. He said, it's back out the way somewhere. I said, well, you know, I know Broadfield quite well. Can I give you a lift to the um, Sunday morning Easter sunrise service, which is at half six in the morning? Is it half six? I think so. Uh, down at Tilgate Lake. You, know, you seem like a Christian. Would you like a lift? He said, he said I will be there. Fine. I haven't actually told you where it is yet, but you'll be there. Fine. And I just, he just left. He wouldn't give me his address. He wouldn't give me any more details. He just left. And I remember Brian and I turning to each other and just saying, we didn't go, oh, there's an angel. We just said, well, that was a bit weird. And I believe it was after that, that this church began to grow. When you put those three things together, either I'm completely weird, don't feel you have to agree with that, anybody? Or you're looking at a glimpse of the drawing back of the heavenly realm that Paul is hinting at to you and saying there is more to this life than merely the human you're involved in. There is a spiritual battle and a war you are engaged in. When you wake up to that, you will learn to pray for me, verse 20, he says. You will learn to pray that I will preach the gospel because this is the only thing that matters in life. And so to close, because Paul is so aware of this, he knows he must go away on God's business. And that is where we're to go, as I closed, on God's business. But I would just like to say, this is not the end, nor is it the beginning of the end. It is the end of the beginning of Christ the Lord. And God has great plans for you who call him Jesus. Amen. Let's stand to worship him.